0: And here's Kyrie Robinson. Robinson for the 10-yard line. Robinson still going. Wins the game with a touchdown. <laughs>
1: So I left you at the altar here for a little bit today, <laughs> and uh, my brother Greg and I went to the AT&T store uh, so I could upgrade to the new iPhone, and it was an unbelievably maddening experience as they tried with all of their might to convince us to do anything but stay on our plan, which allows us to have unlimited data. Yeah. Like They threw everything they had at us. Just.
2: I'm surprised they allowed it anyway. Well, but we're I, grandfathered I, in. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I'm grandfathered in too, but I upgraded. Did you pay full for your phone? Maybe that's why that you can do it.
1: No, they just haven't. Like Verizon, I know, and they made that decision that like any phone upgrade would yeah. change your... Yeah, I lost mine. Yeah, either AT&T hasn't done that or their contracts aren't written to allow that to be a reason to change it. You know, like the reason anyone is, is grandfathered in because the contract you have with that particular... You know, a specific carrier allows that. Right. And I think I read somewhere that the AT&T contract compared to the Verizon one didn't allow them to switch you off just that way, just by changing the equipment.
2: Yeah, I think the Verizon we kind of changed our plan a little bit too. So I don't know. It's, yeah, like I know when tethering became a thing, you
1: know, that was a way that they tried to get people off. Um they just they've tried every way and, and I think that like we have the most valuable thing in mobile. In yeah, mobile. You know, yeah. like unlimited data is the most valuable
2: thing you have.
1: And I I did everything I could to explain that we just were not going to give that up for any reason. And
2: yeah. we got we ended up losing that but we got unlimited calling, so I I'd probably still rather have the unlimited data, but I I guess you take the wins where you can. I just feel like I feel like with cell phone companies that they don't even try to compete, so you're just bent over no matter what you do with them. So, Season
1: 4, episode 28 of the Sportscasters It's October 7th, 2014. I guess this is probably the second episode of Baby Watch. Yeah. You know, like going into last week, we really weren't sure. Going into this week, we really weren't sure. But here we are. Uh, good show again today. Last week, we had Mike Tarico Jeff Passan and Jim Florentine, which you know, guest for guest might be one of our best. Sure, yeah. Uh, another great show today, Greg Wachinski, the Puck Daddy's going to join us to preview the NHL season. Uh, we haven't talked to Greg in a while, and he's you know a guy that's been with us since the beginning. A really early show. I think he was on show number two. To be honest, uh, that might be right. Yeah.
2: I, I remember when the night you he agreed to do it. Yeah, I which think, is a weird thing to remember, but
1: yeah, I think that was show number two. Uh, so he's been on since the beginning. We're excited to have Greg in. Jenny Vrentes is going to join us from the Monday Morning Quarterback. It's her second trip in. She was the one who joined us the day the site launched. Uh, so she's oh, making okay. her her second trip in to talk a little NFL. She was in Buffalo uh, for the Dolphins game uh, when ownership changed. Uh, Andrew Sharp was here as well, and he was the one we had on that week from Grantland to talk about it. Uh, but Jenny's going to share her her time here as well as she went to London and wrote a lot about the NFL in London. And, of course, when you have a woman who covers the NFL, you almost have to ask her how she feels about the NFL's yeah, right. treating women uh, with the Ray Rice thing and everything. So we'll go there with her as well. And then Dan Wilkin, another one who's been with us for a long time, is going to talk college football, and we're going to talk a little bit about it here in a minute. Uh, we're also going to do pick four. Uh, we'll do three things in a second. And then the other thing that I guess I have to mention is just a minute ago we recorded a segment with my brother Greg and he was sitting uh, sort of next to our table and due to his spot he was sort of pushing on one of our wires and it caused parts of the segment we recorded to delete. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're at this moment I don't know if that'll actually be on the show or not or if we'll have to chuck it or if I'll re-record it, which is a doubtful thing or what. So I guess we'll just wait and see. I mean, I don't know right now what the status of that is.
2: Yeah, and if it's not like
1: you're not going to miss anything probably.
2: In that segment that I mean just just picture something that was awesome. Like something that was right. really really good for 10 minutes and then I don't know, go about listening to the guests that would follow. Dan. Dan. So
1: We don't know what's going to be between Jenny and Dan right now. Hopefully, it's part of what we recorded with Greg. uh, But if it's not, I guess I'll probably be there to say, we fucked up. There's nothing here. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's... Which would be great, too. Yeah. So, anyway, let's uh, get this started and do three things. Let's play a game. All right. right.
3: On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll kick it off. Two. The oil patterns on a
1: PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Did we just become best friends. Yep.
1: All right, uh, NFL,
2: the week that was. Uh, you know what's weird about that open, real quick? Yeah. It is somehow subtly different than the one that's saved on my computer. I don't know if I saved like a work in progress maybe on your computer when I was cutting it up or maybe I did that one and then thought, oh, I can add a little more to it. It just sounds very subtly different. Like there's parts that are different. I don't know what it is.
1: That is really interesting. What stands out to you while Kyle Orton... Made his debut for the Bills this week. Yeah, good and bad. We talked a little bit about it. Uh, obviously, he had a pick six, which wasn't horrendous. Great. No, it
2: was very bad. It
1: was a bad one. But you know, he also—I don't know if I even want to say—he led a game-winning drive. They needed probably twenty-five yards. He got them twenty, and he got lucky that the field goal kicker made a really, really long one—a fifty-eight yarder.
2: The Bills uh, have a history. If you... look. When you have a streak as long as they have without any playoff success or even appearances, like you can uh, grasp at anything, they've they've really had good luck with kickers. Dan Carpenter is pretty money. Ryan Lindell was money. Uh, Steve Christie was really good. But Carpenter is very good, yeah. And uh, the guy on the other side of the field uh, who unemployed. I terrible He's for unemployed. Yeah, is not very good.
1: Uh, there was also the the Bills game. There was a guy, an idiot, pointing lasers at the Bills.
2: Yeah, and if it's the same guy, he was apparently bragging about it on Twitter, so...
1: He'll never be at an NFL
2: game again. Right. I saw people asking, like, what's the legality behind that? Probably nothing. I know, like, if you point a laser, like, at an airplane, you can get, like, jail time.
1: Well, I think that there is a agreement on the ticket. Oh, sure. And no, I'm sure right. that violates that agreement.
2: Yeah, I'm sa- what I'm saying is he's not going to jail. Probably not, no. But he's probably not going back into that stadium if they catch him.
1: Right. So there was that... Uh, the Jets finally made the move. They took uh, Gino out, put Vic in. Vic was worth. So they're going back
2: to Gino this week. Yeah, I almost feel I almost feel bad for Gino Smith too. Like he's a disaster. But I don't know if we talked about this on the air or I was talking to you off the air. It's like that's I'd almost rather watch the way he played than the way Manuel played. As far as like how conservative Manuel was. Now I think a lot of that was coached into him. I think he played like he played like he was really thinking about stuff that he was told and. Uh, when he comes, if if he gets a shot again, he said he's just going to let loose. He's going to, which will be great. But Geno Smith, they showed a stat uh, at the beginning of that Jets game that said I think he had played in twenty games. In sixteen of those, he had thrown at least one interception. So that's that's a horrendous stat. But he's he's a lo- kind of fun to watch, I guess.
1: But and you know what I think that that was a good time to bring Michael Vick in because that have, game was right? over. I was you know. And with Vic being that bad, that controversy is pretty much over. Yeah. Yep. Now that everyone who roots for that team knows that Michael Vic isn't an upgrade, Gino Smith can just play the year now. Sure. You know? You know so, what? And,
2: and we talked about whether the Orton move is the right move or not. And, and we, there's a great
1: case to be made on both sides. Right. I think we should approve that. Talking sure. to each other.
2: And if... If the Bills are convinced uh, E.J. Manuel is not the guy, then it's the right move. And I think you move on, and I said to you, go after someone like maybe Bradford or RG3 if like Washington has just given up on one, any right. of those You guys. worry
1: about that in the offseason if you've decided that E.J. Right. Manuel is never going to be the quarterback The problem
2: again. the Bills put themselves in is they trade away their first overall pick. Like I think if you're the Jets right now, if you're a Jets fan, you think like, okay. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Geno Smith. This this year is the rest of his tryout. If he's garbage, we've got we'll have a nice high pick next year, and we'll we'll move forward. The Bills don't have that luxury because they they traded it away to the to the Browns. So yeah, and, and I think they're really good. I think their defense is legit, and I think they've got weapons on offense. So I think they kind of have to do something now. But the the Jets they they put themselves in a spot where they had to do what they did. I think.
1: Things have gone from bad to worse for Adrian Peterson. No. I don't know if you've seen the report. I think it was one of the newspapers in Minnesota. There's one thing I, I want to say about this part of it. And believe me, I'm getting my patience with Adrian Peterson in general is wearing more and more thin. One thing, I don't care about any of the sex stuff. Like, you know, like the whole first half of it was he has this many babies with this many people and sure, you know, I don't care about that. I really don't. I don't think that there's as long as he takes care of the babies he makes financially. Right. I really don't care about it, to be honest. It's not ideal, really, but I don't really that doesn't that wouldn't go as far as to change my opinion about him. Uh, And the charity thing, I guarantee the thing he's going to be most guilty of in this is total oblivious to it right there's no way he really handles anything with the money for that charity yeah all these guys have them i hope you know they have them to avoid taxes for the sure. most part right it's not because they have this big giant heart for the community there's probably of the t- if, if there's 10 nfl charities i bet there's three guys who are in it to do the charity and then there's seven guys who have them because it's a better way to pay taxes basically and i think
2: the guys that are probably into it you uh, know who you those know guys who they are. are right um yeah, we. T- I mean, we talked in- enough, or we didn't talk much about it, but we've heard enough about his issue with his son. And I said he comes off as like a Lenny from Of Mice and Men, is this big oaf that just doesn't know better. And this seems like more of that. If anything, he's coming off looking like a pretty stupid just guy. Just oblivious. Yeah, like, like-
1: and that's my thing is like, all right, obviously the most egregious sin here is the way he is as a parent. And right. I think we talked... Almost pretty reasonably about that when we did on the show and about how maybe the best thing that will come from this is hopefully is he'll be a better parent, right? So then now it's also like he has this insanely irresponsible potentially sex life, right? Sure. And also he puts his name on a charity that clearly he isn't relegating. Right. And other people are taking advantage. That's the best case. I think I just provided the best case for all sure. these things. Yeah, Like at best, he's a misguided parent that will hopefully become a better one. He's someone who has an irresponsible sex life and he's someone who has let other people take advantage of him through a charity. Right. Those are the best cases for the allegations before him. But the opposite of that and the more of these things that you pile onto the cake here is that maybe he is a sexual deviant who is st- Stealing money from people in the name of charity and beats children, like just because he's a child abuser. Right. Right? Yeah. So, and he's probably in reality somewhere, somewhere in, in between that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just a
2: bad look. Uh, none of this is fun to talk about. Uh, the NFL doesn't look good. And because. <laughs> You know He's what? He's not the same guy. Anymore. If I could disconnect from, um, I shouldn't say that. I have a hometown team that, for better or for worse, I love to watch. But if it wasn't for them and fantasy football, it would be easy to slam the door on right. the NFL. But because I like fantasy football, because I like the Bills, my my hometown team, and it's so it's so difficult to to uh, try to separate these things. Uh,
1: what else do we got going on this week? Richard Sherman said that Pierre Garcon doesn't matter which I thought was pretty bold. <laughs> Wasn't impressed with his game last night, I guess.
2: You know what? Sherman's a smart, calculated guy, and he is known to say crazy things like that. So Garcon must have said something to him. I think like, he pulled his hair, didn't he? Oh, did he? Is that what it is?
1: Uh, Arian Foster ripped the NFL for Thursday Night Football. I'm, I wish more guys would do that. Oh, it. I didn't hear that. It's a failed, failed experiment. Yeah, and I heard... Uh, it's like a twenty-eight point margin of victory right now on average, and the regular
2: is thirteen. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I think it might have been on Sheck's podcast. I don't remember who it was talking about it, but they, they guess they will never do Friday nights because there's some sort high of very football. old agreement, right. right, to not compete with high school football. And you're not going to go out like three days is enough. Uh, it just seems buried on Thursdays too. The mar- the matchups are never that good. You want a
1: couple quotes from Foster? Sure. I don't know a player who likes it. I really don't know a fan that likes it either. I think it's just the league's way of trying to generate more revenue. Well, sure. Second, they emphasize concussions when they start getting hit with lawsuits and they care about player safety, but Thursday night football is putting every player on the football field
2: in danger. He's saying this because of the three the shortened rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um The one thing I will disagree with slightly is if you have a team that is not a good team and that would not otherwise be on prime time, I remember remember thinking that same thing, that Thursday Night Football is stupid, nobody cares. I mean, granted, again, I'm a fantasy fan, so if i got a guy playing, it gives me another night to watch. But when my team was on Thursday Night Football, it's like, okay, this is cool. An event. Yeah, this is something. Especially the year it was here. Right. So... I somewhat disagree with that, but I would say every other Thursday he's probably right. Right.
1: When he says, I really don't know a fan that likes it either, I think he's talking about Thursday night football in general. Sure. Where I think what you're talking about is the Bills playing night games. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know? So, I think he's he's right. I think you should have a Thursday night game to start the year. That's cool. Yeah. It doesn't put any
2: team at a disadvantage. And those have been... I mean, this year it wasn't a good game, but... Uh, the Saints-Green Bay game was great. Was it three years ago or something? Yeah, I mean, that, They've had some good That's a great years. idea. Yeah.
1: And you're always going to have Thanksgiving games because that's Americana. Right. There's no problem with that. We don't need them the rest of the time. I um, would rather have a Monday night doubleheader and have Monday night football at 7 and 10 than this.
2: Unless, I mean, if they, if they want to look into what Arian Foster is talking about, maybe you make sure that the team playing on a Thursday night is coming off a bye. But then you can't have Thursday Night Football. You can have it the first week because, I mean, if essentially everyone's on a bye. But you can't have it for, like, the next three weeks. Yep. All
1: five games have been decided by 20 points or more. Yikes. So Yeah, not good. Yep. Uh, I think that's it for the NFL unless there's something else you want to jump on. We're early in the week today. We're recording on Tuesday. So yeah. not as much has happened as
2: some of the previous podcasts that have I guess, done. again, the, it just feels like there's no great team still. Even Seattle, I mean I know they're on they're they're a different team at home and on the road, but just I would have expected they blew out Washington last night and it was a lot close. I mean it wasn't that I mean Washington made it close, but yeah, I don't feel like there's a great team out there. Well, the Bengals maybe is the biggest surprise of just getting smoked by New England who everyone buried. So no great teams that I can see. Number two, the
1: Baltimore Orioles and the Kansas City Royals. One of those two teams will win the American League pennant. Uh, Sweet. The, the Royals sweeped the the Angels, the best team in baseball. Yeah. Sweeped, and uh, the um, Orioles swept the, the Tigers. So the A's and the Tigers, who in at the trade deadline, everyone's like, wow, which one of these great pitching staffs is going to win the AL? Both out. Uh, By the time of the CS, and the big story is that the Royals haven't been in it since 1985, the championship series, and the Orioles haven't been in it since 1997. Yeah. Now, neither of these teams have been in the World Series uh, in a long time as well. So the Orioles haven't been in since they won with Cal Ripken, which I believe was 83, and the Royals haven't been in since 85. So in the American League, we're going to have a team in the World Series who has not been there in decades. Great. And that's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, the National League, we don't know yet. We don't know either of the teams at this point who will be in the CS. Uh, the baseball playoffs have been great. They've been really exciting. There's been good games. There was an 18 inning game uh, that almost ended at literally almost ended at nine o'clock and then didn't end until midnight. Uh, 18 oh, innings yeah. between the uh, the Nats and the um, and the Giants. Uh, the Giants ended up winning. Just uh, a crazy game too because in the ninth top of the ninth inning. Uh, there was a play at the plate. Buster Posey was called out, would, would have made it 2-1. to one. It was reviewed and upheld. Uh, so that's how close. And it was a really close play. The call on the play was out. Call on the field was out, so probably it the right call to keep it at out. But it was interesting that it was Posey who was in the center of that because he was the guy who really changed the rules after he was injured at a collision at the plate. Oh. So he had – you know, the catcher was – left the plate different for him. And also he didn't plow the catcher over, you know, those, that rule was changed and changed that whole play. And he was the guy there. So it's been a great baseball playoff and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And next week we'll, uh, we'll be all that much closer to the world series. We'll be down to four teams for sure. If not less than that.
2: Now the NHL is a different game. You play for 40 seconds at a time and you go as hard as you can and come back to the bench. Um, Sometimes in a playoff series, you'll have a game that goes to three overtimes and, even the team that wins it might just come out a little exhausted. Does that happen in baseball? I mean, it can happen to your pitching, Well, you wear your pitching down. Right. Yeah,
1: I think the outfielders are perfectly capable of getting back in there the next day. And I think that there's a mental element that you wear down mentally as a player too. You know, the focus that's required to step in the batter's box in Major League Baseball. And, you know, if you have seven
2: at-bats one night instead of four, you know, just all of that yeah I just wonder even the team that comes out of that series are they gonna be slightly yeah. worse for where they in the next might series? be yeah.
1: absolutely I mean no matter what they played two games right, yeah. you know, so that night, so no matter what, no matter what the series ends, you know they'll have played an extra game right it? uh last thing, so Saturday we talked about it last week, our third thing was college football's big Saturday, and uh you know it it worked out uh, there was yeah. uh, a lot of games versus ranked teams, which means a lot of uh big teams lost and uh, Oklahoma, Oregon, Alabama all lost. Uh, Texas A&M lost. You know, Stanford lost. Uh just a bunch of uh a bunch of teams lost games, which means when you look at the top 5 right now, it's it looks a little different than you've seen in a while. Uh Florida State is number one. Auburn's number two. Okay, that was the national championship game last year. Nothing crazy, right? Number three is Baylor. Number four is Ole Miss. Huh. You know, number five, Notre Dame, who's sort of there because, you know, they're 5-0, and but they're going to have their make-or-break game against Florida State. You know, they're going to need to win that game if they want to be in the playoff probably. I can't see a one-loss Notre Dame team uh, in the playoff. Maybe, though, if they lose to Florida State by one or something. Yeah. Might be able to get them in if that's their only loss.
2: I think someone like Jeff Passan loves what happened this weekend because I know I've listened to you in the past uh, watching some really good Oklahoma teams that lose due to, like, some injury or just something. Like, the third week of the season, and it's like, well, I don't even have to watch anymore because the season's over, essentially. Uh, Now... You have one loss, you don't have to think that your season's necessarily over, even if there are two undefeated teams because they have that playoff so I mean, I'm not in the minority segments, but it just seems like overwhelmingly positive thing that they're gonna finally have that playoff this year,
1: yeah, and uh they're it's they're gonna not only they're gonna have the playoff this year, but the first year we're gonna test that committee because there's not gonna be an obvious four selections probably.
2: Because of all the, you know, because that, there's yeah. going to be
1: so many teams with losses. losses. So yeah. it's going to be a really fun season. A lot of people think college football is the best sport. And on Saturday, they had a good argument because it was a great day. You know, close games.
2: Do you know anyone that plays college fantasy football?
1: I've heard of it. Really? Because it'd be a little weird. Personally cause, personally like, who plays like,
2: every week you play against, like, a UB. Well,
1: a like, lot of times I think they'll play conference games only oh okay you know so they'll eliminate unfair non-conference sure that's cool you know so they'll have like sec fantasy okay and sec games will be hmm. or, and also i've heard some people maybe play and you only count the 12 12 games or something right you know they'll drop the lowest game or something right but yeah so that's three things so this is where we're at after that we're going to come back with greg greg Wyshynski. we're going to preview the nhl season We're going to do the book club, fourth down in Dunbar. Also, I got another book club announcement, which is a really exciting one for hockey fans. Uh, Then we're going to do Jenny Vrentes uh, from the Monday Morning Quarterback. Then we're not really sure what's going to be after Jenny, but after that we're going to talk more college football with Dan Wilkin from the USA Today, and then we're going to close the show with Pick (laughs) 4. Our next guest is from Matawan, New Jersey, and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He's the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo, and the co-host of the Merrick vs. Washinsky podcast. Making his ninth appearance on the podcast today, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Puck Daddy? Nine times. Nine huh? time, in. Yeah. You were nine on the times. Se- you were on the second episode. You were very nice to give us a chance before almost everyone, I guess. You are you are on the second one. So the only person who was in before you was Jeff Passan. Yeah,
0: we are we are uh, we are nice like that. Who cheered more the most? Who's uh, number one on the leaderboard? Uh, Lee Jenkins. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a pretty pretty good person to have on the show.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, he's great. And it, it was a proud moment for us in the summer when he was the uh, number one reporter in the world, breaking the LeBron James stuff. You know, like, ah, <laughs> oh, that's our guy. You know, that's our guy. And then. And, you know, this guy's, like, the biggest guy in the world, and, you know, and then he's coming on our show because, you know, he's our guy, so it was pretty cool. But you're another one of our guys, and like I said, being on the second show, it's like, you know, at that point, the only other guy who had been on was Jeff Passan, another Yahoo guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, and um, so it was, it was it was cool of you to give us a chance like that. But um, I know you are probably, as much as anyone, excited for the season to start, huh? I know you had a long summer, so you're probably ready to just... Uh, Get the season going and and have games and teams and stuff like that to talk about instead of uh, some of the other stuff that can go on on the internet.
0: Well, the summertime is fun. I mean, like, uh, I'm I'm always a fan of hot stove league stuff and trades and rumors and, you know, figuring out where things are going. Like, I'm I'm the guy who had as much fun, you know, setting up the season on NHL 94 or ninety five as actually playing the games, you know, trying to. It's a, it, it, you know, you set up the league to make it look like the league looks now, <laughs> and uh, and so the transaction stuff was always something I, I'm fine with, and uh, and so I, I kind of dig the off season. But it's it, the preseason is stupid
4: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, and pointless and terrible, and and uh, and and it was even more pointless and, ter- and, ter- and terrible than usual because nothing happened. No suspension, No. Uh, big news outside of David and Jordan this injury. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about ready for the season to start.
1: Now, since you're a big, big fan of all this stuff in the off season, who 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 did some nice things? Who 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 added some pieces? Uh, might put them over the top. Who 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 did you think had a good summer?
0: Well, I mean, I think uh, it's obviously an arms race in the Western Conference. Everyone knows it. So it, it was really interesting to see how the teams bolstered. Their center spot in particular. I mean, you think about Dallas acquiring Spetsa along with Hensky to play on his wing. Uh, that's an aggressive move to add a, a second great center to that lineup. You know, Stasny going from the, the Avalanche to the Blues. The Blues now have a top line center for the first time in, in quite a while. And, uh, and Kessler going to the Ducks obviously gives them a hell of a one-two punch too with Kessler and him. So it, everyone in this league knows that. You know the Western Conference has won or lost based on strength of center. Uh, the Blackhawks are the only team that's been the anomaly there, and uh, the Kings obviously are a team that goes three deep, and, and you're seeing teams respond to that. It was it was uh, it was interesting to see because I mean that West, the Western Conference, as I wrote on podcast yesterday, I think you could take maybe 11 teams out of that conference, and they're all playoff teams in the East this year.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the Western Conference and really the league in general has sort of been chasing L.A. and Chicago the last handful of years here, and um, is, uh, is it still uh, that case? Is it Are we going into the season and in the West and in the league saying, okay, well, let's see who's going to win that L.A.-Chicago series, or are we uh, saying, well, maybe this is the year that one of those teams fall down or this team really steps up and maybe spoils that party?
0: Well, I'm I'm saying it's going to be you know, the year of the party World party because I'm picking the Blues uh, to win the Cup this year, uh, which means they're going to be coming out of the East. <laughs> I mean, coming out of the uh, the right. uh, Central Division and then out of the Western Conference. So, you know, I I uh, listen. It's the, the 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 Blackhawks and the Kings, along with the Bruins, are the the three teams that I think are best built to win the postseason. In the Kings' case, I don't even think the regular season means anything to them anymore. I think they just kind of come into it knowing they just have to qualify, get into the playoffs, and then they, you know, no matter where they finish, they can they can win. Um, so it's, uh, you know, inevitably the road to the Cup goes through at least one of those cities. Um, and in the case of the Blues, obviously, I think they're going to have to find a way to get through Chicago to win it. What is it about the Blues
1: specifically that, You think allows them to take the next step. Obviously, last year they made a bold move bringing Ryan Miller in, and it seemed for a while like that was going to be a great move and worked out. And then, sort of towards the end of the regular season, it just, it just sort of fell apart. And then, you know, into the playoffs, they played that epic series against the Blackhawks, and, you know, they, they came out on the wrong end, but there were some times where a couple things, you know, happened a little bit differently. Maybe they can, they can win that series, but, uh, what is it? Is it Jaden Swartz maybe making the next step? What do you like specifically about that team to, to, Bring them to the next level.
0: Well, like like you said, I mean it's it's a combination of a few things. I love their offensive depth at forward. Um, I think Stasny allows them to reset that lineup in a way where it works a little bit better. It takes a little bit of pressure off of David Backus and allows him to do some of the things he does better than trying to be a number one center. Um, uh, I, I love their top four on D. You know, it's you know Hitchcock's like fantastic coach. He has not playing a good style. There, there's really two factors that are staying in the way of them winning a the cup. One is which goaltender is going to do it, and I, I don't necessarily think that having Brian Elliott as your number one netminder means that you can't win. I mean, we've seen Corey Crawford win, we've seen Anthony Ani win, we've seen uh, Chris Osgood win. It's much more about the team in front of them than uh, a goaltender needing to steal games to for a team to win the Cup. And then the other aspect of that goaltending thing is obviously Jake Allen being the guy in back. On the he side, he's going to be uh, Cam Ward or Ken Dryden or something like that oh, well, then now you're really in business. But then the other aspect is, is that, and this is the thing I've always struggled with in backing the other perennial playoff loser that I've backed, the fan uh, uh, of the Sharks, right. which is they've been bridesmaids for a really long time. And, um, and, you know, at what moment do you say this team's never going to win? And at what moment do you say, okay, I think they've lost to the Kings enough, lost to the Blackhawks enough, and now are going to be able to kind of figure this thing out and that's kind of what I'm, I'm I'm hoping for this year is that they're going to be able to figure this thing out.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the Bruins um, and shifting to the East a little bit. When I look over the East, they just—it's almost like they're they're glowing on the page or something. And it's like, well, is there a team that can can beat this team in a seven-game series? Like that's I think what makes them so great is just to play them in a seven-game series just seems so imposing because they're just so relentless and so physical and. It, it it's just so difficult to match up with and play on a night in, in and night out basis. Is there a, is there a second team that you that you really like there?
0: Um, not necessarily like one that jumps off the page. I mean, I know Tampa Bay is getting a lot of love. Yeah, a lot, uh, yeah. obviously Mon- Montreal is a team that can beat the Bruins in the playoffs. We've seen them do it. Uh, I think what we don't know in that conference is exactly what the Metro is going to look like. That's the issue. I mean, the Penguins come into the season with the usual gang of suspects, but uh, minus a premier winger from Walken, uh a little bit of a different look on D, with Orpik and Nifkin and not there, and a different coach. And and if they don't finish first, that creates an interesting vacuum where you could see a team from the Rangers to Devils to the Capitals potentially filling it. But, um, you know, it, it's the Bruins, I think, by far are just the, the surest bet. You know, them, them and, and Montreal, I think, are the surest bets and Tampa Bay right there with them and then you don't really know what you're getting out of the, uh, the Metro this
1: year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Tampa Bay getting a lot of love. I think I saw uh, one forecast that had him like at 120 points, and I was like, I know it's the era of the three-point game, but really, Tampa Bay's going to get 120 points? That sounds like a lot this year. Do you buy you buy in the Tampa?
0: I'm a little bit more wait-and-see on Tampa than a lot of people are, um, just because I think that you had a, a lot of young players that played a little bit over their heads last year, um, and we're a little bit ahead of schedule, and you want to see what they're going to look like as sophomores. Bito Vendish, who had you know, one fantastic season as starter and is sort of being anointed as a, as, a, as a guy all of a sudden. Um, I'm a little bit more waiting to see with them, but I, mean, I think the reason why they've gotten so much love is because Steve Eisenman's been so ridiculously aggressive in building that team. I mean, adding Garrison, adding uh, Stallman on the back end, bringing in Boyle, They've made some really nice moves and smart moves from an a- analytics standpoint uh, that make me want to believe in them, and, and I think they're a team that could easily challenge for the cup this year. You, you know, if, if the if the pieces fail, I just have a, have a bit more of a wait and see attitude to see if they actually do fit. I mean, it's the first time. Don't forget that Stephen Santos is going to play a full season without uh, uh, Marty Tambu- Sandusky anywhere right. on the roster.
1: Yeah, uh, I mentioned uh, Jaden Swords is someone I'm excited to see where his game is at this year. Uh, I think I saw a little bit from Sagan uh, last year in Dallas thinking he might make the next jump, uh, maybe to a lower level. Monaghan in Calgary is sort of interesting to me as a guy who could break out a little bit. What about some, some players that you're really interested to see where they can bring their games this season?
0: Well, I think Valerie Christian in Dallas is one name that's sort of an interesting name. Um, in trying to see what he'll end up being here, you know, who he's going to play with, he's got a tremendous offensive side. Belchanyak up in Montreal is another name that, uh, depending on yeah. what sort of opportunities they give him, I think he, I mean, he's got all the tools. He, he could wind up being just a real special player in this league. Chris Kreider with the Rangers is another name that I uh, actually drafted in fantasy last night in anticipation of him taking a, a step forward offensively this year as well. Um, there's a few uh, here and there that uh, if given the opportunity he could make special things happen. One other name, Michael Granlund, out in uh, in Minnesota who had a pretty decent point total last year. I think it's gonna to see top line minutes with Freeze and, uh, and uh and 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 this year. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, my when my brother took his official visit visit to B C Chris Kreider was his host. Uh it's a random thing I thought of. I don't know why. Uh the um the bottom half of the league is interesting this year, especially because of the prizes awaiting at the end with uh with McDonald and Eichel, and uh, in Buffalo, the big talk is, have we done enough to ensure ourselves a spot near the bottom? It's a really bizarre uh, situation here where it's like, well, I hope that we didn't bring in too much, you know, like because they had a pretty decent off season considering what they were up against, I thought. And um, I don't know, the league in general, it's, it's going to be a big story this year because everyone is so hyped about McDavid especially and even Eichel as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you're going to have teams that, if they feel like they're out of contention, maybe get the something, get same something talent. Uh, despite the fact that the the league has sort of changed the draft lottery rules to make it a little bit harder to tank. Um, yeah, I think you're going to see at least Buffalo being in the mix for it. You're going to see Calgary being in the mix for it, for sure. I don't know if, if Winnipeg is necessarily a guarantee to be in the derby for those guys as everybody thinks they are. So I definitely think that if, uh, you know, Carolina and the Flyers aren't in contention, um, you know, come, say, like, March, you're going to see uh, both of those teams go into full uh, tank mode for, uh, for some lottery picks.
1: Now, the Islanders made some trades over the weekend, added some defense, and people in Buffalo are particularly interested in this as well because we have their first round pick this year. Uh, do you think the Islanders have, have done enough to avoid the embarrassment of handing uh, Buffalo one of those guys?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think yeah, the Islanders are a playoff team. I think uh they're built for it. I love Tavares. I think him and Off so still could play with anybody and turn them into a pretty decent offense player. Uh right now they have Corey Conecker there who is uh, you know, a bit of a journeyman, but you know, playing with those two guys, it's completely plausible that he's gonna have a breakout year. Uh I think Halak is obviously a improvement between the types for them as well. Um, they're they're a playoff team, uh, and if they're not, I think it's going to be either them or the Blue Jackets getting that last spot in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, with due respect to the uh, Sabres and their wants and needs and desires <laughs> to have that pick be as high as possible, I think the Islanders are going to end up being a playoff team.
1: You don't know how many people have said to me, "So, do you think the Sabres can get McDavid and Eichel?" And <laughs> it's possible. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm like, I, I yeah, like you said, I guess it's possible. I'm like, but. uh
0: I mean, it's super greedy. But- right, yeah, it's very
1: greedy. i like, let's just try to get one of them. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be happy either way. But, uh, uh, what about the league in general? Uh, I heard, I was listening just for the sake of it, and I guess Batman's got to feel good. He didn't make him fall asleep, but I was listening to Batman pump up the league on, uh, on Francesca's show yesterday. Uh, what what the league? Obviously, we're not going to have HBO this year, uh, which is a, no, a little annoying. There's going to be a different version of it on a network. I'm not even sure I have. I'm going to have to look into that before January. Uh, but um, there's two two outdoor games. Uh, what, what what about the league in general? They had such a great year last year. Are there things in place to to build off that momentum? Uh,
0: I think. I mean, clearly, the league from a revenues generating standpoint is is. Uh preposterously good. I mean, the best it's ever been. I think the competition on the ice has been uh, fantastic. And, you know, the thing I keep saying to people that are asking that question is, you think about, like, ten years ago, there was maybe, like, three or four compelling teams that NBC would put on the air constantly because they had nothing else to really show. And you think about where the NHL is today, and it's like, there's at least a dozen teams that you could throw on TV, and I'm going to make time to watch them. And, uh, and that's a really great place for the league to be. They have some stars that are compelling, you know, that you, you might make time to watch. But I think from a, a team perspective, you could throw in, you know, any variation of matchups between a dozen teams, and, and I think that people are going to watch it, which is a, a pretty remarkable turnaround for our hockey.
1: Is there a specific NHL-related thing you're most excited for as we head into the season? It's a really open-ended and vague question, maybe. But I guess I just answer it i ask it just because like is there a thing i, I like for example like going into that season where the sabers are paying playing the penguins and at rich stadium you know I, that was like the thing everyone was like ready for is there something like that for you this year is there a moment or a particular thing that you're looking forward to the most
0: i mean the outdoor games are always going to be a blast and and uh, especially the one out in san fran which will be uh, really fun to see the sharks get involved in the outdoor game and and then you know also have uh uh, television coverage of uh, what could be a complete tire fire in that locker room, but um, I don't know, it's it, it, I'm interested in some some stories more so than moments, you know like, I mean, and that goes on the ice and off the ice. And yeah, give me a couple of those. The idea that, you know, the NHL coverage in Canada has shifted from TSN to Sportsnet for okay. the next 12 years and trying to see what they do with, with the coverage versus a, a network that you know, undoubtedly did it really, really well, maybe the best that we've ever seen in North America, is going to be an interesting narrative to watch. And then, um, yeah, just some teams here and there, the Sharks being one of them, just stuff, (laughs) some hockey stuff.
1: Last thing, what about uh, Wyshynski? What what plans do you have for the Puck Daddy blog, for the podcast? I mean, what are you looking forward to professionally about uh, this season?
0: Well, we just announced yesterday, and I'm super excited about it, that we brought on uh, Josh Cooper, who used to write uh, the uh, Predators for the Tennessean. And he's going to come on as a staff writer. And then uh, Jen Elsie, who's just a brilliant analytics person, um, not only in the way she breaks it down, but also in the way that she's able to break it down for people who don't necessarily uh, know their uh, course from their Fenwick, as they say. Uh, they're both going to be uh, doing work for us this year. And um, I was really just blown away by how positive and and, uh, and uh, overwhelmingly cooler everybody he was with those hires. So, so it's always good. I mean, I, it, may, it may be the single most popular thing that's been written <laughs> as far as, right. as, far as like, uh, the, uh, the Q rating on it. But uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to have those, those folks involved with the blog this year. I think it's going to be a real fun year.
1: Well, you can find Greg on Twitter. He's at and Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. The Puck Daddy blog is on Yahoo.com and the American versus waschinsky podcast uh is pretty much daily right now at this point yeah, yeah we'll now? be
0: as daily as we can i mean yeah uh, job tv over there right. is, uh you know has his own schedule these days so uh you know it's going to be as daily as we possibly can during the season but it may it may be one of these things where it's uh, the timing of it kind of skips around to uh to make uh makes room for uh, for jeff and the schedule
1: well, uh, the sportscasters are obviously on Team uh, Washinsky and uh, Team Puck Daddy. And, and thanks for coming on, like we said, for the ninth time and uh, previewing the season uh, with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Well, I, I look forward to joining the Ten timer Club. Yeah, it's going to
1: be big. It's going to be big for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: man. Thanks, bud. Thanks.
1: thanks. Bye. Alright, I want to thank Greg Wyszynski, the Buck Daddy, for being on the podcast today. Uh, Greg goes way back with us, like we said, and we really appreciate him being on to preview the NHL season. Don and I should take some time in the next podcast or so to preview the season as well. We didn't get to that today. We had some other stuff to do. Uh, but we should definitely, definitely do that soon. Uh, book Club update. A couple of things to go over today. The first is our... Book Club, Book of the Month, for October 4th Down in Dunbar by David A. Dorsey. Uh, We're excited about this one, for one, because David's excited to have it as a part of the book club, and uh, we always love that enthusiasm. He's working hard uh, on finding an audience for this book outside of Florida, and uh, we want to work hard in exchange in hoping that we could maybe provide some of that audience I'm waiting for my copy to come, I can't wait to read it, and when I do, these updates will be a little bit more substantive, they'll have a little bit more substance to them, uh, as opposed to me just telling you about the book, but again, it's 4th Down in Dunbar by David A. Dorsey, or at David A. Dorsey on Twitter. Also, I noticed that the book on Amazon only had, last I checked, 8 copies left, so... If you want to get the the book from Amazon that, that that's uh, that's high, that, that the window for that opportunity is closing and uh, but if you don't get to it, it it's on available at walmart.com and also you can uh, get digital uh, formats of it as well ebooks so we're excited about fourth Down and Dor- Dunbar want to thank David for bringing it to the podcast and hopefully we can do a great job for him. Uh, A second announcement for the book club, Uh, and one of the reasons we do the book club, and I think we've always been pretty forthcoming about this, uh, another big reason that we do the book club is to get big guests. Uh, Sometimes people who are beyond our scope and beyond our reach, they write books, and uh, their book publishers are usually within our scope and within our reach. And Since we've been doing this for so long, we have a lot of relationships with uh, the bigger book publishers, uh, people at them. And one guy I've always wanted to have on is Bob McKenzie, who is the Adam Schefter of NHL hockey in Canada. And uh, I've never been able to get get Bob on the show, but he released another book. Now, besides talking hockey with Bob, I always, or NHL hockey, I always wanted to talk ECAC hockey with him. So he had a son who played at St. Lawrence and he's a big fan of the ECAC. So there's all kinds of stuff I want to get get Bob in to talk about, well he has a new book called Hockey Confidential and uh, we're going to get that book in the mix as well uh, for the book club uh, this month and into next month Uh, so I got an email from the people handling the publicity for the book in the United States and uh, they are on board not only with one book but a second book so we can do a giveaway with this one and uh, also we're going to have some time to have Bob on the show so a huge uh, the book club's rolling again. You know, we're past summer. We don't do it as much in the summer, but we're in that point. We're rolling again. We're gonna have a bunch of books. Uh, there's a lot of books released uh, ahead of Christmas, so that people can uh, can sell books then. So we're really excited about everything uh, with the book club. But don't forget Fourth Down in Dunbar, David A. Dorsey. Get your copy. Hopefully, mine will arrive this week. I can read some, and we can talk more about it in this spot then. Uh, we're gonna take a break and come back with Jenny Varentes from the Monday Morning QB. Our next guest is from Pennsylvania and was a biochem major at Penn State. She is one yeah, of the, that's
3: right. <laughs>
1: she is one of the original staff members at the Monday Morning Quarterback that is making her second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jenny Vrentes. How's it going, Jenny?
5: Good. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the uh, fight song intro. Yeah, so biochem? Yeah, yeah. yeah Biochemistry, molecular biology was the major.
1: So you were just in those classes, and you're you're, you're just saying, I got to start writing about sports. There's just no way I can be crunching these molecular bios anymore. Is that what happened, or what?
5: Uh well, I sort of did it um, writing for the newspaper as a, like a hobby, sort of a you know just an activity in college, and then I um, found out that I really enjoyed it and I I, I really liked it, so. No, you know, I kept up with the science. I, you know, I worked in a science lab most summers, but um, I always, the newspaper was kind of, uh, you know, became more and more a part of uh, my, my daily life, and then I decided to go to grad school after uh, I finished at Penn State.
1: Tell me about the conversation with your parents when you're like, you know, I know you guys think I'm going to, you know, be an astronaut <laughs> or something, but I've decided to... Uh, to follow sports. What, what did they say when you when you said that?
5: Well, they're they're engineers, uh, and my older sister um, is a scientist. So it was just sort of the unknown for them. You know, they didn't really know if uh, what jobs were out there, how hard it was to break into the business, uh, especially since I hadn't really done internships in college, um, you know, at newspapers or anything. Um, so they were they were just surprised in a little bit. They just wanted to make sure that you know it was going to be viable. So. Yeah, I, the, the decision was that I would go to grad school, and, you know, study journalism and, and get a little bit of a journalism education, um, and then uh, and then embark on the career. So they're they you know they're great. They're they're really into sports. My dad, especially Penn State football fan, um, so I learned a lot about football from him. So I think um, you know they really enjoy reading the website now. Uh, they read it at home on their tablet, and so they're definitely really into it.
1: I can just imagine, though, there was probably this one night where your parents, like, got home from work, and they, they met up in the bedroom, and they just looked at each other, and they're like, what are we going to do with Jenny? <laughs> and the other was, like, I don't know. Let's pray for her, you know, like, something like that, like, because you said the unknown, but, and I'm just sort of kidding. Too, oh, yeah.
5: No, I'm sure there were more than <laughs> more than one of those conversations. I was part of more some of those conversations, so... <laughs>
1: Well, uh, but we're happy to have you back. Like I said, I think the last time you were in, it was very close to the launch of the website. So we're, you know, well over a year in now. Looking back, how how do you think things have gone? Um, and, and where do you where do you where do you see the site right now? Like, is it where you guys uh, wanted it to be? You still still got further to go. Tell me about the first year plus here.
5: Yeah, I think you know there was a lot of learning to do. Um, the first year sort of being involved with a new project and there wasn't really anything exactly like it out there so we were kind of making the rules up as we went along a little bit and sort of learning what worked what didn't work um so you know it's a really great team to be part of i'm um, i'm happy to be a part of this team the other writers peter the editors there's a lot of you know, great people to learn from and work with and and bounce ideas around with. Um, I think year two is, you know, a new challenge in itself, sort of um, keeping things interesting. And, you know, um, you don't have people just checking out the site because it's the new thing anymore. So you want to make sure that you're still finding interesting stories to tell, um, you know, doing it with, like, the detail or, you know, the -the behind-the-scenes access that Peter sort of wants us to have. So it's always a challenge, but... um, you know i'm I'm
1: glad to be part of it do you do you ever get concerned at all uh when you're when you're going through the second year that you don't want to uh be or maybe you do want this i guess the question is does it happen and do you want it or don't you want this thing where like you end up being looked at as a specific person to do a specific thing on the site like jenny's going to be the person that you know covers the uh the games mostly and she's gonna be the person that goes to Europe and, and Robert he's gonna be the guy who stays close to home and, and maybe focuses on football from a social view and you know Peter's gonna do his thing. Does it end up like that or is that something you're you're concerned about or, or how do how do roles get defined in, in your cast if we put it that way? Well we just want the
5: fight overall to be good. I don't think you know, we we, we do, I think, have roles to some degree in terms of things that each of us are good at. So you always want to play to um, people's different strengths. So, you know, Greg is really good at, you know, knowing inside the game of football and and scouting players and kind of breaking the game down from that perspective. But then again, you know, he just did a really interesting feature on a coach who's out of the game for the first time in 37 years. So, you know, I think... Certainly, you want to play to people's strengths, but um, you also, you know, don't want to limit people to one kind of story. So I think we've been trying to find a balance between that.
1: In the last couple months, with uh, the controversy surrounding Ray Rice and domestic violence, and as we get into Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, does your role as a, as a woman uh, in the site is that something you have to be cognizant of? Have you uh, have you thought about that and and, and do you feel like there's any responsibility as one to do any certain thing or do you not look at it like that at all?
5: Well, I think we wanted to cover what was happening. Um, and I think all perspectives are good. All perspectives are valid. Um, you know, if they needed me to call on me to do something, I was happy to do it. Um, I I don't, I think, you know, it's important to have female voices out there overall. I don't think necessarily on this one topic alone. So, um, you know i think you know i i wrote a little bit about it i, I it wasn't my focus it wasn't um i, I didn't you know cover the day to day of it we don't usually cover the day to day stuff on our site really anyway so um you know i i think um having a lot of different voices overall is important
1: yeah we we had jane jane levy on the show uh right around that time she's a good friend of the show span several times and you know, we asked her about it and it was interesting because you know, a lot of times when we call Jane, it's to talk about baseball, to talk about the Yankees maybe. Uh she's got such a great perspective having been a fan for generations and uh just out of curiosity, I I dipped the toes in that water to see what she had to say and I I think I was a little surprised um at how her opinion was more uh macro than micro, that it just didn't seem like Uh, it seemed like her response to the story was more, eh, that story, you know, I'm I'm not that that interested in it. I have a more macro view and I'm just going to stick to that. And um, I I don't know why, but it it surprised me a little bit. Um, And I guess I thought about it for a second and thought, you know, it's stupid of you to assume that just because she's female that this is like the most impactful thing that's happened in sports in the last 24 hours. And uh, that was that was on me, I guess, a little bit,
5: uh well, you know it's certainly you know the biggest issue the n f l is confronting right now, so it definitely warrants all the conversation um and coverage that it's getting. I think you know there's um there's, the coverage is going to continue, and, you know I think um female voices are certainly part of that, I think having females in you know. Sports coverage roles and also in the NFL at all different levels is really important. And I that's one thing that's sort of been highlighted by this. Um, so you know,
1: I got you. I want to move on. I got some other some fo- some some football things. You went to Europe uh, to see the the game in London, and it's seven years in. You had some really interesting. Uh, thoughts about that and wrote about that for the Monday Morning QB, and and the articles are out there for those who are listening who maybe haven't read them yet, but overall and in general, what was your impression of the status of the National Football League in a city like London?
5: Yeah, so, you know, I think it was a really interesting experience. I hadn't seen, I hadn't been to London overall, but I hadn't seen, you know, the game there and the operation there, so, you know, I think you kind of have to be there and sort of see it to understand the vision and, and why they're trying to be there. I mean, the NFL really wants to be there. They're doing everything they can to sort of make this happen. They they pour a lot of money into the effort. You know, since the series has started, they've been um, paying for teams' accommodations there, paying for their team charter across the ocean, which has a base cost of like six hundred grand. You know, wow. they've been. Um, you know, scouting um, fields, they poured a lot of money into Wembley Stadium, upgrading it to NFL standards and some of the, you know, um, things that they don't have at at soccer stadiums, really, you know, a lot of the, you know, video scoreboards and and things like that, that's not really common in the UK for for soccer, it's, you know, it's it's a little bit different feel inside a stadium, so they've they've done a lot of that, you know, I think they still have a long way to go, though, Um, not all the logistics are hammered out, I think you know, they see a money-making opportunity over there, and I think, you know, um, owners see that as well, some owners, and so I think that is obviously a big driving force. Um, on the flip side, though, you know, you're going, owners are also going to value competitive balance, and, you know, would it be fair to have a team in London? Would it be there to have teams going, you know, if you had a team in London, you wouldn't be guaranteed a bye week on the back end, most likely. Um, you know, you'd play divisional games in London, which isn't allowed currently. Uh, and there's lots of things to work out. Like, for instance, for our current London trip, teams start planning for that in February or March. Um, they have um, supplies sent over by boat in August. If you had a team in London, they earned a home playoff game, you'd have a team with five, six days to prepare to play a game there. So, there's a lot of logistics that they don't have answers to yet. They're working on those answers and they're trying to provide those answers and they're continuing to test things that will allow, you know, owners to, you know, sort of see the big picture and kind of give give it the okay down the line. But they're not there yet. I think, you know, the timeline they've given is seven to eight years and um, I think it would take at least that.
1: You know, I always think about players. I think about the the 20... 20- one-year-old kid sitting in the green room at the draft when the London team is on the clock, thinking, eh, "Maybe I wouldn't mind being the eighth pick instead of the seventh pick." What, what sense do you get from players about the, the idea of maybe being a part of the league? And and I mean, if you're if you grow up in California and your home team is London, that's I mean, that's like a ten-plus hour flight from your from your house. That players seem into this, or do you think that's where they might get the most resistance?
5: Well, I think there's mixed opinions among players. Some players see it as an adventure. It would be neat to be part of that. Um, other players, like you mentioned, you know, it would be a long way for home. Their family probably wouldn't get to see them play as much. You know, I think um, if they can work it out where, you know, obviously there's higher tax rates in London, the cost of living is very high. Um, those right. are some of the issues they need to sort of ferret through. But, you know, players will pay wherever they're getting paid, and, um you know, also a lot of players live half the year in one city, um the city where they play and then they have a home base elsewhere. The London team would probably have a home base in the US. But you may only be in London from September through January, which, you know, ultimately isn't that taxing necessarily. So, um I, I think I don't think that'll be you know, um I don't think there's going to be a great resisting force. Obviously the players' union would have to, you know, sign off on it and, and sort of um you know, I, you know. I think they could try to collectively bargain some of those things. I'm not exactly sure how that would work, but um, I think it would be a consideration. But I don't think it would be prohibitive.
1: One last thing on this, uh, I asked you about the the players. What about the fans? I mean, being in Buffalo here, I've watched the response from Toronto. It's, it's it was it's a much different situation. I know for one because forever fans in Toronto have just been able to drive, you know, an hour to Buffalo to see games. So It's it's it wasn't. I mean, yeah, it probably was nicer to go out the front door and be there in 20 minutes. But as someone who's who's lived in Buffalo his whole life, I can tell you, it's nothing for us to go back and forth from Toronto. And I know it's the same from for people in Toronto and Southern Ontario. So I wasn't surprised that the response to that wasn't great. The games there to the fans is it is it really about yes, NFL football is here. I got to go to this. I love this. Or is it maybe about there's this huge event in London. I want to be a part of that. Is it somewhere half and half? What is the what is the real, not the NFL, what they want you to think, but what's the real response to fans in, in London?
5: Well, I think, you know, right now the games are still sort of staged like the Super Bowl. So the NFL office will send over 70 staffers to kind of pull right. off these events. The they, event. When I was there, they shut down Regent Street, which uh, on, a, on the Saturday before the game, it's like Fifth Avenue in New York. Um, they had like a fan fest there. So... Obviously, there's a lot of events around the game. I think they have to start off that way. They have to sort of build excitement around the sport and sort of lure fans in. That's been their approach. Um, and then, but I think you know, ultimately, you would have to transition into sort of a more mundane, a regular season flow. You know, what goes on in all 32 NFL cities. You know, you'd have to sort of recreate that over there. Um, I was surprised. I mean, there, there are more NFL fans in, in the UK that I thought um, than I thought. You know. Um, there's a lot of fans who sort of picked up the game in the 80s when there were highlights on Channel 4. That was soccer was sort of experiencing a lull, you know, a hooliganism at that period of time. So some people kind of latched on to the NFL then. And then the rest of the people, they're sort of targeting newer fans coming into the game. So the average age of an NFL fan in the U.K. is something like 26 or 27, whereas in the U.S., it's 44 or 45. So it's definitely a younger fan base. Um, so I think, you know, the NFL is... What they've done is they've steadily built the presence since 2007, and they're going to steadily continue to build the presence. And I think by them being there and having more and more games in London, this year there's three games that sort of continues to build the fan base, interest in the game, and I think they hope that it gets to the point where there would be enough sustained interest over, you know, an eight-game season, or eight game, eight home games.
1: The sportscasters are here with Jenny Vrentes from the Uh She's at that on Twitter. And uh, we had Andrew Sharp from Grantland on a few weeks ago to talk about his time in Buffalo. Uh, you wrote an article, "Pride in Pegulaville," which is on MMQB about your time in Orchard Park. W- what was your just real generally? What was your impression of uh, the city and the fans, and what was going on off the field when when you were here?
5: Yeah, that was a pretty cool weekend to be there because you know fans had just found out for sure that the team was staying in Buffalo and. You know, um, Bills games always sort of remind me a little bit more of a college atmosphere, the the tailgating outside the stadium. People get there the day before the game. You don't see that at any other stadium. So it's definitely a special fan base, and it was really neat to see the reactions of of, of people who have been Bills fans for so long. And I I also feel like Bills fans are a special breed of fan because they haven't had a lot of success recently, but yet they're there every week, and they're loyal, and they're diehard, and I think, um, you know, it, the news that the team was staying, I think it was so important to the city that it stayed. Um, and I, I was really happy to see that and see how happy people were.
1: Did we feed you well while you were here? What was that? I said, did we feed you well while you were here? I'm always concerned about this. Did you get a nice plate of chicken wings? And, uh, you know, did you see the good, good side of our city?
5: You know what, I I actually didn't get any wings while I was there, I have in the past, I have been to Anchor Bar in the past, Um, I meant to this time, but I was so busy uh, running around and trying to get a sense of things that were going on that I didn't have a chance, but that was a regret of mine, next time for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we have to get you to Duff's, you know, the, 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 the chicken wing thing is, you know, Anchor Bar versus Duff's, they're both great, but a lot of people will choose sides one way or another. You know, I okay. I choose not to do that. I just enjoy both. I don't know why why everyone would do that, but uh, uh, we gotta get. I I don't know, but since we've been doing this show, and I'll talk to people who are in in the city more and more. I want to get like a van that is at the airport, and I can just pick everyone up and make sure they eat somewhere good while they're here. And you know, <laughs> like I feel this responsibility because you know we got there's the there's the uh, the guy in Miami is his name Omar Cali, is that right? I think that's his name. You know these people that yeah. you know, they call us an armpit, and they, they, they mock us relentlessly. And I, I feel like I have to make sure that doesn't happen.
5: Yeah, no. Well, hey, that sounds good. I would, I would happily take you up on the offer to have a plate of Duff wings. So,
1: <laughs> all right, one last thing, and I'll let you go. Uh, we're five games through. Uh, we talked about your time in Buffalo. We talked about your time in London. What else do you want to do this season? Is there any other? stadiums or cities or stories that you really want to get a first-hand perspective of and, and write something on the site about?
5: Yeah, you know, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens in the NFC this year. I mean, that's a division that people have, you know, said for a while, oh, the division's down, but this year, you know, the Giants are starting to look good. Both the Cowboys and the Eagles are 4-1. Um, I think in both cases, maybe those records are a little deceptive, but you can't deny, you know, where they're at at this point in the season. So, um, you know, I guess I always pay a little bit more attention to, uh, you know, teams and divisions that I've covered, and i spent a little time covering the Giants, so I always kind of keep an eye on that. But that's um, that's one thing I, I, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, I- I think that that division is, is surprised me a lot. I did not see the Cowboys as a four and one team, and I didn't see the Giants uh, being this this good. I think everyone maybe thought that the Eagles would just sort of run away with that.
5: Yeah, and um, myself included, I, I thought there were a lot of question marks with the new offense. I wasn't sure, if, you know, it would suit Eli that well. It didn't look good in the preseason uh, in Dallas. I thought, you know, Tony Romo coming off back surgery and that defense, especially. Has been ravaged by injuries and right. losses and free agency, and I, I thought there was no way they would be uh, any good. And uh, so both of those um, have been a big surprise.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the Saints game from last year and the Saints game from this year, I mean, you couldn't, you know, write two polar opposite stories in in you know in one year. That, it's crazy. I think the Saints had like forty some first downs or something last year, and they could barely get a yard last week, but. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jenny writes for The Monday Morning QB. We we love the site, talk about it a lot. We've had her, Robert, Greg, Peter all in on the show. Uh, she's at Twitter at Jenny, V-R-E-N-T-A-S. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's busy during the season, but it was great having you in. And thank, thanks for the interesting perspective on all the different things.
5: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Father of mine, tell me where
2: have you been? You know I just closed my eyes. My whole world here. Father of mine, take me back to the day. Yeah, when I was still your golden boy, back before you went away. I remember blue skies
1: walking the blind. All right. Technical difficulties don't happen very often on this show. But uh, they did yesterday, Don and I were recording our parts of the podcast on Tuesday, and we had my brother Greg over uh, to record a short segment where we were going to let Greg announce that he and his wife, my sister-in-law, were having their first baby, and uh, Don was going to talk to him, and did talk to him, about uh, being a father, and what's cool about being one, and what's hard, and... It was about 10 minutes long, and I thought it turned out really well. Well, unfortunately, Greg was sitting next to the table that we have set up where we record. And when he pulled his chair up, he loosened one of the wires that runs across the room to connect our computers and the board to the computer that we record the show on. Uh, So it was sort of in but sort of out, and parts of what we recorded were cut out. Parts were there. Uh, We just can't use it, and uh, I'm definitely disappointed we can't. Uh, But there's nothing we can do about it at this point. Don's gone. Greg's gone. We're just not going to be able to have it. So uh, this spot here is uh, unfortunately just me telling you that we blew it and and had some technical difficulties. But congratulations to Greg and my sister-in-law, Laura. I know myself and everyone in the family is thrilled uh, to be welcoming the first of the next generation. I'm really excited to be an uncle uh, can't wait to meet the baby in May. Uh, love you guys and congratulations again. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with uh, Dan Wolken. Our next guest is from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. He was first on the podcast while working for The Daily before moving to USA Today where he covers college football. Uh, he's been on the show six times now A Warner Sportscasters. Welcome to Dan Wilkin. What's up, Dan? Hey, how are you? How you doing, bud? Thanks for, thanks for being on today.
3: Uh, no problem. It's, uh, everything's going pretty well. Weather's starting to cool down and starting to feel like football. It's all good.
1: Where are you based out of now?
3: I live in Atlanta. Atlanta? I live in Atlanta now.
1: Gotcha. How do you like that? Uh,
3: it's good. It's it's very convenient for me because it's right in the middle of the heart of college football. Uh, just in terms of logistics in, in my job, I, I am able to get to I think ten you know big time DCS football schools by car. You know three hours or three and a half hours or less, uh, which is good in case you know there's breaking news happening. It's right. also game weekends I can often get home and sleep in my own bed and then also there's a pretty big airport here that uh can get me anywhere in the country uh relatively quickly so all that makes it a very convenient place to live and it's a nice city
1: i think almost everyone has a nightmare atlanta airport story
3: well that's only i think (laughs) because there's a hub there um it's a major hub and uh that's where people end up flying through and i don't know that that's the fault of Atlanta or the Atlanta airport or Delta. I think, it just, you know, Delta. I think
2: it's Delta, right?
1: They're the one who have the hub there? Is that is it Delta? Or yep. You, yeah, I think yep. it's their fault. I've noticed that on Twitter, like, Delta is the hate airline. Like, if you want airline hate on Twitter, it's de- it's going to be Delta usually.
3: Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it seems to me that it's pretty evenly spread out.
1: <laughs> um, that might
3: be U.S. True Airways,
4: <laughs> American, United, United yeah.
3: I, I see people uh, – kind of go nuts over all of them um the thing is you know things happen and two things one when you're dealing with airplanes and weather and all that stuff mechanical like stuff's going to happen like you just it just is and you kind of just have to roll with the punches and you know the airline industry may not be perfect but uh, they do a pretty good job, I think, getting people where they need to go most of the time. And if you have to, if you have to endure some delays, uh, that's that's just part of the deal. Um, the second thing is on Twitter. I, I think there's nothing more unbecoming than people who get paid to cover sporting events and travel around the country uh, and even the world to to cover those events, complaining publicly about their airline experiences. I I, I just don't get that. I, I sort of uh, take the Take the uh, tact of you know, shut up.
1: <laughs> now uh, you live close to ten universities, and you're uh, you're a lover of all airlines. Where were you last weekend? And uh, on, and on, uh, I don't know. Is there a name for what happened to the college football landscape last Saturday yet? Or where where were you uh, last weekend?
3: I was uh, at Ole Miss and saw Alabama lose uh, lose there, and and. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a real name, but uh, you know, I think you see this a lot more in the last few years, where you, you have a day or, or a couple days during the season where a lot of ranked teams lose. Uh, part of that is just there's it's it's highly competitive right now, and and teams are um, there's not a great difference always between the quality of teams and. Uh, uh, it's just one of those things. Like, it's more, it's much more competitive than it used to be in college football, and a lot of people can can win games. And you know, talent's more spread out. I, I just I think it's it's parity, and it's going to be more common.
1: What did? How would you rate the scene at Ole Miss after the game as compared to maybe some other uh, scenes like that that you've seen in the past? I mean, it looked pretty great on TV.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of good ones. Um, I don't know that anything really will compare to last year Auburn. at the Iron Bowl. Yeah. I, that was just such mayhem uh, because it was so unexpected. You know the the way the game ended, the way the, that whole thing unfolded with the kick, uh, with the run back of the missed field goal, and then you you sit there and realize like. Auburn actually just won the game. It's over. He he's just that was just an absolute mob scene and and people were on the field after that game. Like it felt like for like an hour. I mean, it just it just seemed like they were there the whole night. And uh I don't know that anything can can top that to be honest with you.
1: How good is this old Miss team?
3: They have a really outstanding defense, uh, very talented, very fast on that side of the ball. Um, probably the best in the SEC. Their offense, uh, I think, leaves a little bit to be desired at times. They don't really run the ball well. Uh, Bo Wallace, the quarterback, is prone to making bad decisions and big mistakes. He's sort of got that gunslinger mentality. Uh, Thinks he can make and needs to make spectacular plays all the time. Uh, And those risks he takes will often put his team in, in a bad position. Now, he didn't make any big mistakes against Alabama, uh, and that was a, a very key reason why Ole Miss was able to to win the game. But, you know, I just think there's enough of a track record there that, that there will be times throughout the season where he'll throw a couple bad interceptions, and you're just like, well, what are you doing? But they've got a good enough defense to, to put him in every game, and 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 they're certainly going to win a lot of them, and, you know, we'll see. I mean, the SEC West is just a meat grinder, and, and to get through week after week after week, um, it, it, will, it will not be an easy task for anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like one of these years where if there's one, you know, undefeated team in the playoff at the end of the year, that's probably going to be a lot. You know, I'd be real surprised if there's two or three, and I'd be shocked if there was four, but as we stand right now of the, Of the teams with serious playoff expectations going into the season that got their first loss on Saturday, I'm thinking of maybe Alabama, Oklahoma, Oregon, who I guess was technically on Thursday, and any other teams that uh, already have a loss, is there any one or two of them that you still feel really good about maybe being in there at the end? And, And the opposite of that, is there any that you think of that say, you know, they really needed to run it to be there at the end?
5: Yeah, uh,
3: it's hard to say. The, the landscape is going to be so fluid uh, over the next couple months. I still think Oklahoma's got a chance to to be great, and and if they can win the rest of their games in the Big Twelve, uh, they'll be in it. Obviously, Alabama. You can come back from a loss on the road to a quality team like Ole Miss, but but you have to then go and win all these other games. Right, you know? that and, was and the so, second one. Yeah. You got to beat A and You got to beat Auburn. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to play and beat some some high quality teams. I just think it's too fluid right now, and and the process is so new. Uh, there's no precedent for anything. Everyone's just sort of guessing right now, and I, I just think that if you're in the top 15 on November 1st, anywhere in that top 15 you got a chance to move up into the top 4 if you win the rest of your games and things break right for you, you 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 can you can get from 15 to 4 and uh so we'll see i mean when 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 we get to november 1st who's in that top 15 uh then i think the the picture will come into a little better focus
1: yeah you mentioned oklahoma and it's really interesting to me about them uh, with losing to uh, to TCU and now TCU is going to be going to Baylor this week you know so let's just say maybe Baylor wins that game and then obviously Baylor is going to be going to Oklahoma let's say Oklahoma wins that it almost seems like we have a situation like we did was it 2007 was the year or something like that where uh, Oklahoma um, was it Texas A&M and Texas all had the one loss and Oklahoma ended up being the team that won the three-way tie.
3: Yeah, I can't remember Texas exactly Tech was the uh, other team. what Texas happened, Tech. but I think that that might have been determined by the BCS standings. It was,
1: yep, that was the tiebreaker, at, yep,
3: at that time. And obviously, you don't have BCS standings uh, this year. So, and and the thing about the college football playoff is it, it really doesn't matter because they're going to pick what they consider to be the best four teams, taking into account the entire body of work. So, you know, if there's a three-way tie. Um, there's nothing that says they have to take a Big Twelve team, but if they do take a Big Twelve team, they could pick any of them
4: or two based on just who right. they
3: think is is the best, and and that's using a using a set of uh, criteria that that we are just um, you know that, that that is fluid and that we don't really know.
1: You know, I should have asked you about this team when I asked you about Ole Miss, but what about their their neighbors in the state? How good is a team like Mississippi State?
3: I think Mississippi State is is terrific. Um, I think they've got a good enough defense. You know, their their cornerbacks are maybe a little questionable, but but their front seven is, is outstanding, and they've got depth there. And and when you've got a quarterback like Dak Prescott, it's just a game changer in college football because he can just control the game. He can make first downs with his feet. Uh, he can throw the ball. He he's just a, got an excellent feel for what they're doing and. And you see when that offense has a guy like him, what it can be. I mean, it's a little bit like Tebow at Florida. And, uh, you know, they, they've obviously got a couple big SEC wins, and they got another big game this weekend against Auburn. We'll, 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 we'll find out.
1: With everyone in the top 25 having played five games, or, or basically that, maybe there's a team or two, at I know TCU's only played four. There might be another one or two. Is there a team that really disappointed you so far this year?
3: Uh, well, South Carolina is one that that is kind of an obvious right team that's disappointing because they were in the preseason top ten and they've already got three losses. Uh, I don't know what exactly is going wrong there, but but they're just not very good or not and certainly not the pieces just don't seem to fit together there. Uh, they they've been a disappointment. Um... It you know, goes without saying, Michigan, not that, not that necessarily people thought they were going to be a national title-type team, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and USC. I think USC is a disappointment. They, they, yeah, they've got some issues with their roster because of the sanctions, and, and they're not stocked up on scholarships, but uh, they still have a lot of talent on that team, and, and for them to lose you know, to Arizona State on a Hail Mary and then to just sort of get pounded by a pretty average Boston College team that's a, a, a very uh disappointing, I think, start to the Steve Cirqueesian era.
1: You know, I know it's early in, you know, five games and, and we've talked about how many turns this season is clearly gonna take with so many games left, but if you were in the committee mm-hmm. and had to pick four right now, who would you who would you pick?
3: Um, you know, I, I think I did my own uh top four and I I have to go through my email to see exactly who I uh Exactly who I picked, but you know I had Florida State in there, I had Auburn in there, I think I had Mississippi State in there, Uh, and I think I might have had TCU as the fourth team. Um, Yeah, they look pretty good now. Obviously, they they, they're up against it this weekend at Baylor, but that's the kind of team with that defense that can give Baylor some trouble.
1: Yeah, and and at Baylor, they're going to see one of the guys who's in the mix, uh, you know, who gets talked about when it comes to Heisman. Do you think there's a favorite right now at this point of the season?
3: No, I mean, it's just wide open. I I think Florida State going in was was obviously a a huge favorite, but the way they played this year, they just don't seem right. Now, maybe they'll get there, but they just seem sort of, um, I don't know if bored is the right word, distracted. Um, They're not as good up the middle of their defense. They don't have as many weapons in the running game. They're just not, they're they're good and they're winning, but they, they, they look pretty vulnerable.
1: The sportscasters are here with Dan Wolken from USA Today. He's at Dan W O L K E N on Twitter. Uh, how is uh, life at the USA Today? You enjoy covering college football for the nation's newspaper?
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's a great job. I', I, I very lucky to to be a part of the organization, and uh, we have a great staff of people. I have great bosses, and you know the. Working at a place like USA Today, you, you do get uh, uh, a lot of recognition and it's a great brand to be able to go out when you're reporting stories, to be able to say that, uh, you know, that you're from USA Today, it certainly helps.
1: Now, do you get to ever make any of those real colorful pie graphs or anything? Do you ever get a chance to, uh, to do that? <laughs> they ever say, "Dan, we're going to need a pie graph from you this week for the uh No, for, I you know?
3: I I never I am never uh asked to to do anything other than uh but the most exotic thing I do is video I, and and then I do a lot of uh uh a lot of uh writing and video and breaking news and all that stuff. I, I never have to do any charts.
1: Now, if they asked you to do a graph, do you have a favorite? Are you a pie graph guy, a bar graph guy, you know, a flow chart? I mean, is do, would there be one that you would most likely uh create?
3: I haven't
1: done any sort of pie <laughs> charts, uh, I think, since about the fifth grade. <laughs> All right, I was just uh, kidding. I might not be that funny. Uh, again, it's it's at Dan Wilkin on Twitter, uh, USA Today. dot com for some of his work, and also if you're still buying those newspapers, uh, I still do it, and uh, people who ride the train still do it. You still read the uh, read the hard copy of the USA Today
3: yeah i mean i i pick it up often um especially when i'm on the road i think typically um the product of the last couple years has been outstanding from just day to day obviously there's more content overall on the internet there's only so much space in the print edition but uh yeah it's you know it's um it's a great product these days, I think. And and we just have some, some outstanding people. Uh, you know, our NBA coverage is outstanding. Sam Amick and Jeff Zilgit. Uh, our NFL people do a really good job. Um, you know, college basketball, NASCAR. It, it's, uh, you know, Bob Nightingale in baseball. Um, it, it's a really good product.
1: The last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'll let you go, I- I did get to talk to Lee about this. I don't think I got to talk to you about it. Did you have a proper celebration for the baseball national championship?
3: Well, I, you know, I, I, it's sort of one of those things, and, and I notice this more and more the more I do sports um, and the more I'm around these these sort of uh, uh, the, you know the championships, whether it's football, basketball, whatever. There's all this build up and all this hype and talk and uh, you know, we we you know make it just such a huge deal to win championships, and then it's over, and somebody wins and they celebrate, and by like by the next day everybody sort of moved on, and it's just funny sort of how that works. And you know, I, I, I thought it was it was a very nice thing for my alma mater that uh, that they won that that title. I, I'm not a big college baseball guy uh, to any great degree, but oh, yes. I did watch that final series and. And it was it was fun. I mean, they they were obviously playing for something very important, and uh, you know, it was great for the school and and sort of uh, validation for uh, a program that had had, had a lot of a uh, lot of really good teams, but had never quite gotten it done. So uh, that was fun. I mean, I didn't I didn't really celebrate, so to speak, but uh, I, I definitely enjoyed watching it.
1: All right, Dan. Uh, I got the Twitter out there a couple times at Dan Wilkin, and of course on USA and in the newspaper. Is there anything else that uh, we got to get out there for you?
3: No, no, just uh, just just promoting, just uh, trying to get trying to get clicks.
1: All right, thanks so much, bud. Really appreciate you being on.
3: Sure, no problem. Thank All you.
1: Talk to you soon. All right, I want to thank the Puck Daddy, Greg Washinsky, Dan Wilkin, and Jenny Vrentez for being on the podcast today. Maybe I'd also like to thank my brother Greg for being on the podcast, assuming that that part actually made the cut. Uh, you can find our work, including last week's show, with Mike Tarico, at www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us the sportscasters at gmail.com uh, picks last week. I went two and two. I won with the Packers that felt like an easy one and was. Oh yeah. And I also won with the Broncos. I'm 0 three on the saints. Can't get a, get a feel for them, I guess. And uh, I lost on the bears who seem to have it uh, with getting points up by 14 into the second half. And they just fell apart in that game. Uh, so I was two and two, five and seven on the season. Uh, Don got a nice late cover from Seattle. Um he won on the Bills, who won the game outright as an underdog, and he won on the Broncos as well, but lost on the Bears as well. Three and one for six and six overall in a one go game lead. So
2: right. Yeah, the yeah. game of the week this week, uh maybe the one team's not a surprise, but the other is the Cowboys at the Seahawks. They both go in with one loss. I was talking a little bit about how there were no great teams in at Seattle, maybe took more of a game from Washington than they would have liked. I don't know. They're a different team at home and the Cowboy is particularly Romo can be prone to mistakes. It's a big line if the with how good the Cowboys offense has been, but I'm still gonna take Seattle minus the eight at home. Yeah, I
1: like Seattle minus the eight at home too because it doesn't feel like the Cowboys need this one. Right? Like I just don't know that I just don't know, one, that they're they are not – I don't think they're good enough to win the game. They're probably good enough to keep it close. But I think Seattle wants to go out and make a statement. I think people are starting to question how good Seattle is right now. And I think yeah. that we, they might be due for, for taking advantage of a team that's maybe not, not quite as good as their record and making a statement against them. Uh, so I will take the Seahawks. It's a lot. It feels like a lot, but yeah. I'll still take the Seahawks minus the eight.
2: Your boy DeMarco Murray can go a long way to making that line wrong. You know, I mean, he's he's, a, he's been phenomenal He's a this great year. player. I mean, he has been a great player Seahawks, for a long time. Yeah, they can be run on, too. Um, I think you said you were 0-3 with the Saints. I think I'm 2-1 with the Bills right now, maybe, and uh, – I figure I'm going to end the year probably right around 500 with them because I can't figure them out either. This week's going to be extra difficult because the Patriots might be just as strange as the Bills are this year. Uh, the Bills are at home. You're playing the Patriots again. I know they don't literally have to win this game, but if if you're going to win the division, this is a game that this is the hurdle. This is a test. I mean, if you got to knock off the guys that have knocked you off – for years and years and years now. So the Bills are getting points. They're at home. They're coming off a nice win. Uh, there's no way they're not up for this game. It's just a matter of, I guess, which which Tom Brady steps on the field. So I'd rather be wrong and go with my team than be right and watch them get blown out or something. So give me the Bills plus three.
1: Luckily for my nerves and My overall outlook on life, there isn't a Saints game this week, so I figured in in this case, I'll just pick the Bills game as well, and I agree with you. I don't know if this is exactly your rationale, but like I sort of said for the Seahawks game, this feels like one that Bills really need. Sure. They need to go out there on Sunday and beat the Patriots, the team that they just have been a, a basically punching bag for for the last 15 years, and... It seems like the teams are close enough that they could do it, and you know Tom Brady got back on it a little bit last week, you know, and so it, it's it's not the de- if the if the Patriots are in the desperate position they were last week coming into Buffalo this week, I might like them, but it just sort of feels like two teams ready to play a division game, and it just feels like the Bills needed a lot more. I'll take the three points and it, you know on the Bills in Buffalo and see what happens. I like it.
2: Yeah, and I heard. Uh... On local radio, there's a little bit of a discussion whether or not you'd rather have the Patriots come in here just in shambles or come in here looking a little bit better. And I don't even mean it necessarily from a competitive standpoint, but if you if the Bills go out and beat a Patriots team that looks like a disaster that played Kansas City the week before, I don't know if I still know how good the Bills are. So I, I hope the Patriots have righted their ship a little bit and the Bills can go out and beat them. Uh, just to see kind of test ourselves or test the team a little bit. Um, my next one is, I guess this is my random game of the week, or is this? We did the prime time. No, we did the game of the week. We did the Bills game. Yep, we
1: got a wild card and a prime time left.
2: I didn't write the times. zone. when did the Colts play the Texans? Is that Thursday? Is the Thursday game. Okay. We talked again about how bad these Thursday games have been. I don't see a scenario where the Texans, even at home, make this some sort of blowout over the Colts. The Colts are a two and a half point underdog. I don't think the Texans are that great. Uh, I'll take, I'll lay two and a half even on the road all day with Andrew Luck against whoever is starting there, Fitzpatrick, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I thought about that game, but I think I really like the Eagles. We always sort of talk about how the home team gets three, three points, points yeah. and you go from there. The Eagles are only a two and a half point favorite at home at night against the Giants. Peyton, Man- or excuse me, Eli Manning has had a much better season this yeah. year than he did last year, or even like it looked the he would have this year in yeah. the preseason. But and, and the Eagles certainly are are probably not as good as their record. Uh, but I don't think we've seen the best Eagles yet. I mean, LaShawn McCoy only has one touchdown and 273 yards rushing in five games. Uh, I feel like this is a chance, again, where the Eagles can say, look, it, we're still the best team in the NFC East, and we're not going to give up the NFC East without at least protecting our home field. And two and a half points seems like a half a point of a bargain. Yeah. So I'm going to take that half a point and pick the Eagles minus two and a half over the giants.
2: All right. Part of why we do this segment again is to get a chance to talk about the football games without talking about every football game. Are the Eagles, I mean from a real perspective or a fantasy perspective, is that that defense? Are they really for real? I mean, they're, they're scoring touchdowns at an unsustainable rate. They have like six touchdowns for the, And I hope they know Malcolm Jenkins is not that good.
1: (laughs) He's a a decent player, but he is not that good. Unless he just was holding out on the Saints. I've seen Malcolm Jenkins play a lot of NFL football games.
2: I have the Eagles defense in my fantasy league. And I think they're the number one or number two defense in the league right now by scoring. uh, By fantasy scoring. Which is another reason why you
1: should never pick defense in fantasy until the very end.
2: My point of that is... The Titans defense is unowned right now. I'm playing Jacksonville, who is just pick who I, I'm tempted to drop what might be the number one defense in football right now for the Titans. That's how much I just don't believe that the Eagles can keep that up. As good as I think their offense is and can be, sometimes maybe even despite Nick Foles. All right, my last game, my random game here. Another game where it feels like maybe I'll be the sucker come next week when we're going back over this. But it feels like a small line, and maybe the team being on the road is trying to sucker me into a bad bet. But Green Bay is only a three-point favorite on the road at Miami. And look, I know Miami's got some some uh, a good defensive line, but man, I don't know. Green Green Bay just—they look like a team that's starting to to click. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers isn't used to getting hit. It's not like he's break. Get... The Dolphins
1: were on a bye as well, though, so a little bit longer break. Sure. You get a nice, fresh Packers team on the road.
2: Yeah, so I don't know. Three points isn't enough for me to shy away from the team on the road, so I'll take the Packers.
1: Yeah, I I looked at a lot here and couldn't decide on one, but there was another one where I thought maybe they were trying to sucker me in, and it was another night game, the Monday night game. uh, The Rams are at home against the 49ers, and it just felt like I know you're a road team, but – Someone said to me, do you think that the 49ers are six points better than the Rams on a neutral field? I'd probably say yes. So I think by that logic, I think that they're three points better than the Rams in St. Louis. And that just doesn't strike me as like, oh, no, you got to go play St. Louis in St. Louis.
2: Yeah, with their third string quarterback in.
1: I'm not afraid of that. I'll lay three and a half points and uh, take the 49ers to beat the Rams. Yeah, I looked at that game, too. All right. uh, That is it for this week. I know I'll be here next week, I think. (laughs) I think I'm doing a show with or without Don. I'm not positive about that, though. Actually, I'll say this about that. If I already have a show planned and people booked, I'll probably do it. If I don't and Don calls me and says I'm having a – we probably just won't book one. Okay, right. You know what I mean? Like, I probably won't cancel stuff because Don has a baby, but I won't – Schedule stuff if we know Don's going to be out. I think that's sort of where we both are with it. So we'll see about next week.
2: Yeah, it's very fluid.